This is an ABC podcast. Good evening, everybody. This is um, uh, me coming to you live from northeast Tassie in some little town. Grows a bit of hops. It's February 2021, and Neil Waters has some news he's itching to share with his followers on YouTube. So, the last 10 days, I've probably been acting a bit weird to everybody in the group and online. And uh, that's because um, when I was checking the SD cards, I found some photos. He's walking down a country road, sipping on a beer, when he announces he's found something huge. Photographic proof of a thylacine, otherwise known as a Tasmanian tiger. We believe that, uh, when I say we, I mean myself and the committee of Tagore, believe that the first image is the mum. We know the second image is the baby because it's so tiny. It's big news for the mysterious animal that we hunted to extinction less than 100 years ago. So you can see why Neil is excited. But we don't rewrite history books based on a single YouTube video. First, the photos need to get past this man. I've left the the images with Nick Mooney. Um, (coughs) Sorry, Uh, my name's Nick Mooney. I'm a a Tasmanian wildlife biologist. From... um, Museum is an honorary to the museum in Hobart. And Nick has dealt with these kinds of claims before. The only options here is the person's claim that he thought they were thylacines is either right, it's either wrong. That's the two options. So the thylacine is either there in Neil's photos or it's not. It seems like a simple equation, right? Soon we will know. Congratulations, everyone. We've done it. Cheers. I'm Elizabeth Kulas. Welcome to Days Like These. Every year in Tasmania, people come forward with evidence that they hope will prove once and for all that the thylacine, the Tasmanian tiger, is still out there somewhere. There are reports of sightings on the side of the road while driving at night. Others claim to have come across curious footprints in the mud while out hiking. Today, from reporter Shane Anderson, this is the story of one of those discoveries and what happened after it was reported. It's about two photographs, two men and two very different animals and the lines we draw between extinction and survival, evidence and belief, logic and passion. There's very few biologists who would call themselves a thylacine expert. Nick Mooney isn't one of them. He's not a fan of the term. But it's a label that he's reluctantly worn for most of his career. If you Googled thylacines Tasmania, you'd probably come up with my name sprinkled around the place. He started out at the Tasmanian Parks and Wildlife Service, originally a specialist in birds of prey. But nearly 40 years ago, Nick was asked to take part in an expedition that set him down an unusual path. In 1982, a park ranger called Hans Narding was sleeping in his car on a rainy night near the Arthur River when he reported seeing a thylacine outside his window. 
he reached into the back seat to grab his camera, and when he turned back, it was gone. The last known thylacine died in captivity in 1936, and that grainy video of the marsupial carnivore pacing around in its cage would be the world's last confirmed images. But in the 1980s, the thylacine still hadn't been declared officially extinct, and Hans was a well-known and trusted guy. The Wildlife Service believed him, and they decided to investigate. They tapped Nick on the shoulder. I was young and enthusiastic and was asked to go up there and set up for a year or so and see if I could confirm that report that Hans made. A wide-eyed Nick set off into the wilderness. Uh, yeah, it was very exciting. I mean, essentially just turned 30, so it was uh, itching to go and have a go. And that would be, you know, the, the peak of your sort of career to be involved in some sort of rediscovery. So I went up there and set up a base and prowled around the place, set up a routine. Nick had to figure out how to find a thylacine in the vast expanse of bush, find it and then observe it without harming it. Nobody had attempted to do this before, not professionally at least. It meant Nick had to develop a bunch of methods for spotting a thylacine totally from scratch. I had to do a lot of things, like learn a lot about different animal tracks. So I had to get hold of lots of these animals and I'd release them on a beach. So they'd have to walk along the beach or run along the beach, you know, just to increase my expertise, really. Once he was confident he would know what he was looking at, Nick set up traps throughout the bush, hoping to trick a thylacine into stepping on sand or on a gravel road so he could see their footprints. The whole time, nobody knew what he was up to. The Wildlife Service weren't too keen on the public knowing they were paying Nick to search for thylacines. After 15 months, Nick emerged from the wilderness with nothing. And all I could say was there wasn't a thylacine routinely using that area while I was there. The excitement of his secret search for the thylacine faded. A few years later, in 1986, the thylacine was officially declared extinct, but the sightings continued. And having earned his stripes in the field, Nick became something of a gatekeeper of this steady flow of thylacine reports. Now, when people reach out to the Tasmanian Museum and Art Gallery to report an encounter with a thylacine, it usually makes its way to Nick. It's not a position you apply for. Um, it's essentially because no one else who's had any authority or a, a very wide experience wants to do it. People want an educated opinion, and my opinion's educated simply because I had an awful lot of exposure to these issues. And that's what he does every year when members of the public send him photos or blurry videos or plaster cast of footprints or even eyewitness accounts of thylacines roaming the roads or the bush. You get to argue it out and find out what's a reasonable approach and then you can give a measured opinion. Nick's learned that people's reports can't be taken at face value. Like the time someone sent him a photo of a thylacine footprint in the mud. When he zoomed in... Nick could clearly see the logo of a well-known sneaker brand. The gap between what these people think is there uh, and what they've been spruiking and what is there is huge. That gap doesn't just apply to reported sightings, but how we imagine the animal itself. In the thylacine's 80-year absence, 
we've projected a lot onto what was a fairly lumbering marsupial carnivore. Their stripes and their long jaw fascinate us, but researchers tell us in reality thylacines were small and slow, not quite the elegant predator that we picture in our minds. We've turned the thylacine into a symbol, a tragic reminder of our destructive relationship to nature. And that's why each time someone reaches out to Nick, they're hoping he'll tell them, yes, you've found a thylacine, because a rediscovery brings hope, a chance to do better. And it means that dealing with these kinds of reports is a job Nick takes very seriously. If you're wildly excited, you might make a a rational decision. If you're not so wildly excited about the issue, you're more likely to just make a calmer, a slightly more independent decision. Nick's dedication to thoroughness is partly driven by his personality. He's an exacting kind of guy. His wife is a barrister, he counts police detectives and criminal psychiatrists among his friends. And at times, he himself has been called as an expert witness in court. Nick lives in a world of logic and facts. But Tasmania is a small island, a place where worlds tend to collide. Okay, well, my name's Neil Waters. Um, Officially, I'm a horticulturalist, but I gave it all away to chase the world's most rarest and legendary so-called extinct animal, the thylacine. I remember when I was in primary school in about 1976, I was having a look at books, as little kids do, learning about animals, and there was this striped dog-looking animal, and it said, endangered species. I suppose it was a bit of a mystical beast to me as a young kid because of this what-if factor. Neil Waters and Nick Mooney have never met in real life, but they both have a vague awareness of each other. Neil is a self-proclaimed thyla nerd. I like the idea of, you know, just being an amateur researcher. I don't normally work well with authorities because I'm a bit of a rebel. Originally from Adelaide, Neil bounced around a lot between South Australia and Tasmania. On one of his trips to Tassie, he was walking his dog through the bush when it got the scent of an animal and tore off ahead of him. Neil was yelling for his dog to come back when he realised he could hear something much closer, rustling through the bush just a few metres away. I knew I was being stalked. Now, I wasn't sure exactly what was stalking me, but every time I stopped stepping, it stopped stepping. The old heart was pumping through the chest big time. Finally, the creature stopped. I sort of sat behind a clump of grass looking at me. I could see the top of its ears. That sort of put my nerves at ease a bit. When he tried to get closer to it, it ran away. Neil knew something significant had just happened. After his encounter, he asked around and realised he was far from the only person to have a story like this. You know, most of the people you talk to in Tasmania that have seen it know it's there or they've seen one and they want to protect it by not talking about it. Not talking about it doesn't come naturally to Neil. He started the Thylacine Awareness Group of Australia to spread the word of the animal's continued existence. Neil has set up around 80 motion sensor cameras in secret locations through the bush, hoping to catch a glimpse of the mythical beast. I was due to start bringing them all in. Yeah, I was in my dining room. Yeah, I'd brought in most of the cards and I was going through the cards and it's a very time-consuming task. If you get a lot of false triggers on there, you can have thousands and thousands of images and it's just a shadow 
or a branch moving in the breeze, um, which is frustrating, but that's the name of the game. Um, so when I spotted what I spotted, I, I knew what I was looking at and I was pretty excited. There were five photos that immediately caught his interest. Neil takes them straight away to the thylacine awareness inner circle, including the sponsors who pay for the camera. Slowly but surely, they started to realise what I was getting on about. We all started to get a bit of a consensus happening amongst us, and then we had to work out what to do. They decide to send them to the Tasmanian Museum and Art Gallery, home to the biggest collection of thylacine reference material. I'll show them to the people at the museum, give them a chance to have a think about it, see what they say. Neil sends them the photos, as well as some plaster casts of footprints he's collected over the past few months. Back in Hobart, the museum reaches out to Nick, asking if he can have a look. Nick makes sure he's alone, away from distraction and in a calm frame of mind. What I'm trying to do there is apply what's called in law the Brigginshaws test, which is the higher the consequences of some decision, the better the evidence you have to have. The Brigginshaw test suits a man like Nick. It's drawn from a legal precedent often used in the Australian High Court. It means that the more serious the allegation, the more irrefutable the proof needs to be. So if you're going to present evidence that would, say, rewrite the history of an entire species, it better be good. Oh, I, I like that principle simply because it's uh, rational. The consequences of your decision, guilty or not guilty, are far greater, so you need to be more careful. Nick analyses two of Neil's photos. These are both timestamped, so we know that they were taken within a few minutes of each other. It's... Uh, a tangle of undergrowth essentially in cross light, so it's heavily shaded, patchy sunlight, and there's an animal that superficially appears to be going away. In this first photo, there's definitely an animal in there. It's tucked away in the bottom left corner of the picture. But when you zoom in on it, exactly what it is becomes a little less clear. So can you just describe what you do see in the first photo? What I see is an animal with a broad head. Well, my first impressions of the first animal was it's essentially brown. It's a very light grey colour. It's better than a brown blob, but it's essentially a brown blob. You can see that that animal has got a big, buffy head. Very big hips, big, a big rump. It's, it's very chubby. Um, I do see some striping on its back. I don't think they're they're bands on the fur. I think they're shady bands across them. That's the first animal. To me, it's honestly hard to tell what's in this photo. It's blurry and it's heading in the opposite direction of the camera, through a thicket of branches, sticks and leaves. And when you talk to Neil, he says he's willing to admit this first photo is a little ambiguous. This is the one that I'm calling the uh, female. I wasn't completely certain about the mum, but when I saw the rear photo, I believe that is the same animal. Okay, do you want to describe the second photo for me? So the second photo is a, a, a very small image, a much smaller animal in almost the same place. In this second image, there's a few features that Nick and Neil can agree on. Now, um... It's walking away from the camera. 
again, it appears to be going away through the undergrowth. It's been hanging around in that spot and it was very small. Because the animal is smaller, the scraps of undergrowth are relatively bigger, so you can see proportionally less of the animal. And some parts of the animal also look the same. It's got a dead straight tail. The tail's pointing dead straight. The tail appears to be pointing at the camera. The right ear is slightly obscured. You can see one ear, the left ear, clearly not the right ear. But then, again, things start to get a little hazy. The evidence in this photo points to two different things. Is it a thylacine walking on four legs? It's clearly a four-legged animal because its head's up high. The back is dead straight. Or some kind of creature with two hind legs. Looks like it's taking its weight on its four paws, pulling both back legs across the stick. Could it be a shaggy thylacine with stripes across its back? When you have a good look at the spot and the position of the sun at the time, there is nothing there from that angle casting those shadows. I see stripes on the animal. Or a furry rump trying to catch the morning sun. I think they're shade and also folds in the fur. Often there's fur lines. Again, to me, this second photo isn't very clear. But there is an animal here, and it looks smaller, maybe even cuter than the first. From his dining room in northeast Tassie, Neil Waters knows what he's looking at. OK, it's a photograph. It's not blurry. It's definitely not photoshopped. And it's a baby Joey thylacine. And if you're following the Brigginshaw test, the implications of this discovery are enormous. That's proof of breeding. This is proof that thylacines exist and they are breeding. Meanwhile, in his quiet study in Hobart, a calm Nick analyses the photo. He zooms in on a couple points, he does a few pencil sketches, and he runs through some probabilities. There's not, not a huge list of animals in Tasmania. It could be. It hasn't got spots. It's the wrong colour for a whole lot. It's too big for a whole lot, too small for a whole lot. Nick Mooney comes to a very different conclusion. The option that leaps out at you, no pun intended, is uh, a paddy melon. The Tasmanian paddy melon. It's a small wallaby with little ears and beady eyes, and it's most likely to be found hunched over eating grass. Long ago, chubby little paddy melons were a delicious meal for a thylacine, but with the island's apex predator no longer an issue, paddy melons are thriving. It just looks like, to me, it's a um, what we call a young at foot following a mother through the undergrowth, the mother hopping uh, more normally and the young one sort of um, having to grovel a bit. Nick Mooney gets to work writing up a report, and once that's done, he'll send it back to the museum, who will pass it on to Neil because that's the proper way to do things. But Neil's been waiting now for two whole weeks. And he decides it's time to raise some awareness. Good evening, everybody. This is um, uh, me coming to you live from northeast Tassie. I'd been sitting on those images for a while and I was walking around on eggshells. I didn't know what was going to happen, what to do. What I did do is I made about three or four versions of the same thing. Were you drinking a titty in every video? No, no, I wasn't. That was the only one I was drinking a titty in. And you know what? Bogues never offered me a free carton of beer at all, and I gave their product massive, massive worldwide coverage. Massive worldwide coverage is exactly what happens next. The video goes up on the Thylacine Awareness Group YouTube, 
and by the next morning... Has the long-extinct Tasmanian tiger finally been rediscovered? It's the news of the year. It could even be news of the decade. His, uh, his name is Neil Waters. The president of the Thylacine Awareness Group of Australia found, apparently, or taken a photograph of a family of thylacine. He's gone gangbusters, his video. For a few short hours, the world is alight with excitement. A baby Joey thylacine minding its own business in the Tasmanian bush, alive all along. Neil talks up the photos, but he doesn't reveal them. Not yet. Instead, he tells the world there's only one other person who has seen them. Nick Mooney? Nick Mooney. Nick Mooney. Nick Mooney. The ball is in Nick Mooney's court. This is the other part of Nick's job. His duty isn't just assessing the evidence. It's also breaking the bad news. Oh, there was about oh, maybe 30 outlets from all over the world. About half the people that contacted me wanted an exclusive interview. Well, you can only do that once, of course. The world wants Nick to tell them it's true, and Nick replies to every single email, telling them all that, in his opinion, it's not a thylacine. And uh, people all really wound up, and this is it, maybe this is it, and here's uh, me saying something, well, maybe it wasn't, you know. And they go, oh, like that, just, oh. Bummer, you know. <laughs> oh, here's Nick Mooney pouring cold water on her when we're all getting excited again. I don't like being a wet blanket, but there you go. So how did Neil feel about all that cold water? My, my gut instinct told me that Mooney was going to say, no, it's not a thylacine. I don't really care what the T-Mag says, to be honest. Well, I guess why would you send them the... Well, I, was, I, was trying to, I was trying to engage science because I don't normally engage science. I'm, I'm, I guess I'm a citizen scientist. Were you taken aback when you got the, the email that said it, it was a patty melon? Uh, no, I didn't think you'd go with patty melon because I thought, well, clearly it's not a patty melon, but hey, you know what? You're the expert, mate. Knock yourself out. That's fine. He was very cordial and very polite. Everything was fine, but I disagree with his findings. In his final report, Nick used the kind of careful language you would expect of someone who'd been cross-examined in court. He said, In making this comment, I consider only the characteristics of the material and make no presumption of extinction or existence of the thylacine. In fact, he encouraged Neil Waters to seek other expert opinions, which Neil did. But because they're not Nick Mooney, no one wants to listen. Neil released a separate video with these expert testimonies. In it, they mostly agree with Neil's observations, but crucially, they're anonymous. Neil says he offered this to them, to protect them from online abuse. With his careful and considered language, Nick Mooney's opinion killed the story. What Nick's opinion didn't do was dampen Neil's conviction. You know, I put it out there, I cop a lot of criticism for putting it out there, I get that, I take that on board. And I wear my heart on my sleeve a lot of the time. So sometimes that's good, sometimes that's bad. You've got to take the good and the bad. But yeah, I, I, I truly believe the animal's there. We've really got to do a better job of protecting the environment. How do you think like two different people can look at the same photo and come away with such different ideas about what it is? Yeah, that. I mean, that's just a, a fact of human nature, really. I mean... It's part of human nature to, for all these complications to come out. And that's why material evidence, what we call material evidence, or some people call it hard evidence, is really important. As far as evidence goes, unless we get really crystal clear footage of a 
thylacine walking up the Burke Street Mall in Melbourne, they, they're going to really struggle with um, any kind of video or photographic evidence we provide. Not all evidence is created equal. That's what Nick's Brigginshaw test reminds us, and it plagues the whole thylacine issue. In 2018, a group of researchers published a paper claiming that the odds thylacines were still out there were, I quote, astronomically low. In response, another group of researchers published another paper disagreeing with the first. They said the first one was biased, that they ignored the evidence collected by amateurs like Neil. The argument goes back and forth. We all draw our own conclusions from those astronomically low odds, because alongside those odds are a little patch of grey where you can't rule anything out with absolute certainty. But when I asked Nick Mooney about what kind of evidence he would need, the answer was surprising. What kind of photo would you need to see of a thylacine before you would be like, okay, this is definitely not extinct? Like, what would be convincing enough for you? Um, uh, it would have to clearly be a thylacine and my heart would have to stop when I looked at the photos. Surely heart-stopping excitement has no place in a philosophy built on sober rationality. And yet, if Nick did see a thylacine after all these years, what else could his heart do? But it also says something about Nick's staunch dedication to the facts, the attitude that has helped make him an authority on the tide of thylacine reports. That calm, focused process of weighing the evidence It's a counterbalance to the Neil Waters of the world, to the unshakable optimists and the believers. We all live in bubbles and we all are expecting to see certain things. So if we expect to see certain things, not hope, but expect to, we're more likely to see things because our psychology is somewhat arranged to cherry pick evidence to suit our point of view. And that, that happens to all of us. Nick doesn't expect to see a thylacine. And yet, he still goes out of his way to reply to every email and take every phone call from the public. He's not paid to do it. He hasn't been since he left the Wildlife Service. And it operates alongside a respectable career in the conservation of animals we know aren't extinct. So why? If it's going to turn up, this this amazing animal, I wish it would turn up while I'm still around. And... I don't care who finds it as long as it's found ethically and conserved. And perhaps that would mean uh, someone says nothing. Nick could still get that chance. When I last spoke to Neil, he was about to head back out to collect the SD cards from those 80 or so trail cameras scattered around the bush. He's hopeful he'll snap some more photos of this mum and Joey making their way through the thicket with no idea of the spectacle that they've become. If he does... Maybe he'll send the photos to Nick. Neil Waters did release the photos online, so you can see for yourself if your heart stops at what might be a thylacine sighting. We've got a link to them on our website. Thanks for joining us on Days Like These. If you've got a Days Like These story to share with us, maybe something huge happened or there was a day where everything took a swerve, get in touch with us. You can send a voice memo or an email. Our address is dayslikethese at abc.net.au. 
Also, you can follow days like these on the ABC Listen app or wherever you listen so that you never miss an episode. And while you're there, leave us a rating and a review. It helps new people find the show and we love to hear what you think. Days Like These is hosted by me, Elizabeth Coolass. Today's episode was reported by Shane Anderson. Our lead reporter is Pat Abud, sound designed by Angie Grant. The supervising producer was Sophie Townsend and our brilliant executive producers are Rachel Fountain, Sophie Townsend and Ian Walker. Our theme song is Yeah Nah by the Gooch Palms, courtesy of Ratbag Records and BMG. See you next time. I've got the fake boobs, I've got the pink lipstick, I've got the bleached blonde hair extensions, but I try my best. Next time, on days like these, we go behind the closed doors of a funeral home. My favourite tool in the mortuary is actually called an aneurysm hook and this has a lovely smooth curved end and I use this beneath the eyelid. It's quite smooth so it's not going to damage any of the tissue and this helps me insert the eye cap with a mysterious mortician carrying a big secret. The more I worked in both the death and the sex industry, I realised how similar they are. There's so much theatre in both. And while you're waiting for the next episode of Days Like These to drop, might I suggest the new ABC podcast, Nature Track. It's for times when life feels like it's getting a bit noisy. There's partners and kids and the TV going. Maybe you're locked down or you have a long commute to work. Maybe you've got a ringing in your ears when things go quiet. Nature Track offers a beautiful alternative to all the noise, and it sounds like this. Nature Track brings the sounds of the wilderness to wherever you are. Each episode features hours of nature sounds from around Australia, played at length and uninterrupted by voice or music. Perfect for when you need to work, sleep, meditate or just relax. Search for Nature Track on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts and tune out to the sounds of the natural world.